Welcome to Work and the Future, a podcast about tomorrow, with your host, Linda Nazareth. Well, hello, and thank you for joining us today. You know, we're hearing more and more that we're going to have a different reality post-pandemic. And that's really true when it comes to the world of work. We started this big experiment of having everyone work from home and trying to get projects done when we couldn't be together. And we were told it was temporary. And as we've gone forward in this, I think we realized that maybe it'll be temporary, but it'll be in place for longer, perhaps, than we had planned for, maybe for months or a year or so. And after that, we're going to make decisions about what parts of this to keep and what parts of it to let go. And with that will come other decisions about how to get to the next phase and do it effectively. So for organizations, they're going to have a new set of rules they're going to want to implement post-pandemic, some around how workers do their jobs, but also about how they manage workers. And on the worker side of things, you know, we've all learned things and learned about how we work best. And when we get to the next phase, we're going to bring different priorities into it. So given all of that, is this really the time for organizations to talk about what comes next? Well, probably it is time to make a plan. So we're going to talk about that today. And we have a really great guest to do that. Now, Catherine Barnard is based in London, UK. So not North American based, but really interesting to hear from different parts of the world and how they are putting things together and you know, how that compares perhaps to maybe our realities. Many of us are based in North America. She's in a company called Working the Future, and she works with companies to get them ready for what comes next. She and I first connected over LinkedIn, actually, because we're both passionate about the future of work, and we've kind of shared ideas, and now it's great to share them with all of you in a really good conversation. So I really enjoyed the thoughts that she had. I think you will as well. Please stay with us. Hopefully months or maybe a year and a half or a year away from a vaccine for COVID and a return to something approaching normal in the workforce. But what will normal look like for companies and how should they plan for this post-pandemic future of work? Well, our guest today works with many of those companies and they're planning for the future and she has some great insights based on what she's seeing right now. Catherine Barnard is a partner at Working the Future. That's a UK-based consultancy firm which helps businesses with organizational future proofing. She joins us now from London, England. Kat, thanks so much for being here. Thanks ever so much for inviting me. You know, I always like to start by asking people about their own careers. What brought you to this point where people are asking you for your advice about how to future-proof? Thank you. Um, so I, my background emanates in headhunting and recruiting. I started in the field of mobile telecommunications, headhunting and recruiting in the early 1990s, just at a point where the European telecommunications sector was starting to deregulate. So over here in Europe, we were moving from one state-owned operator to um, a more competitive market. And for probably about a 10-year growth period, um, we were, I, I was intrinsic in, in, in helping build out um, mobile phone ne- uh, networks, second and third generation mobile phone networks um, all over Europe. And so I had always taken an interest in um, how you build high-performing impermanent teams 
and that really was where my my sweet spot had always been but um I guess about four or five years ago I started to notice what I now sense what I now know was kind of a stagnation in the in the labor market in the sense that hiring was becoming incredibly transactionalized and depersonalized and I wasn't enjoying that I was always um fascinated and intrigued by the human side of how people come together to perform great work um and in parallel with that I came I kind of stumbled really but I came across the topic of the future of work and started to deep dive into all the various ways in which work as a construct is going to well is now radically transforming and I think we were had all expected some of the stuff that's happening now to play out across the next decade but I think it's been you know the events of the last six eight months have um, catapulted and accelerated a lot of the future of work topics that we've been exploring into into the near view so that's well, my background sure well let's talk about what you're seeing because you're in the UK obviously I'm mm-hmm. based in North America but I think it's really instructive to hear how different countries are doing this what are you seeing from where you are how are British companies coping with this lockdown and all the changes well so we have kind of three categories, I think, really. Um, There are those who've managed um, successfully to pivot to working from home. And I would really loosely categorize those businesses as probably a bit more knowledge economy based, where the where of work isn't as important as the what of work. Um, There are those businesses that have been really derailed by the lockdown and social distancing to the point where, you know, um, fundamentally their 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 um, business model doesn't function anymore because because you know service sector, hospitality, travel and tourism based industries are really hit hard by by what's gone on. And then there are those that have had to adapt to socially distanced kind of frontline working. Um, I guess our area is more in um, working with knowledge economy based organizations who have been able to make that pivot and and who are now certainly here I don't know whether it's the same in in Canada Linda but certainly here we're bouncing around now um, in we'd hoped that we would be able to go back to the office the government had certainly hoped that we'd be able to go back to the office late summer in order to kind of kickstart local economies, towns and city centres. But of course, the the virus has outrun us in that regard. And we are now all back in the um, mindset of working from home to try and reduce uh, transmission rates. Um so it's been quite interesting because I think we 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 kind of all high fived ourselves and and you know were pleased to have managed the pivot to home working, but I think we're now entering a second stage which requires far more grit and tenacity because the couple of things at play. I think most of us are pretty exhausted by the uncertainty and the not knowingness of this of this pandemic and a lot of us are missing the social contact that comes with being 
um, together with colleagues in a workspace. And in a lot of areas, we're having to start thinking about how we shift entire aspects of business. How do you develop business development relationships and sales relationships when you're confined to a virtual environment? How do you maintain team engagement and high performance when you're all working virtually? And, and, and also, how do you manage the boundaries between home, life and work when there's not much to distinguish between home, life and work now? Yeah, it's an interesting time. It's interesting you say it's the second stage. There's a kind of predictable cycle in how these things go. And it's been chronicled in other disasters that first there's the heroic phase where, you know, everyone's working hard and putting kind of a band-aid on it. And then you get into this disillusionment phase where I've done everything and why are we still doing this? What's the danger of that? Do you think people are going to make bad decisions because they're frustrated or what, what are companies doing? Do you know, I think there is a real danger of that. I think that, you know, in phase one, I think we put hope, I think we were all optimistic that phase one would have, um, would be finite and would have a fixed ending. And obviously that's, that's turning out not to be the case. And certainly the sense that we're picking up is that, you know, that there is um, a frustration and an exhaustion that this isn't going to be over by Christmas or by Q1 or Q2 2021 and I think that um, I think you know I, I guess the analogy that I would use is that we may have thought that it was some sort of short track sprint and actually this is turning into a marathon and and I'm not I'm not convinced and by the way I, myself included in this I'm not convinced that we did the uh, the prep work properly you know I think we we all had hoped that it would be, you know, sort of three months would be fine, six months would be fine. But to to start to contemplate that actually, the, you know, the near view could be Q3, Q4, 2021, I think we need to, as leaders, take a pause and consider for ourselves what that means because we have, we have a responsibility to continue to energise our workforces and... And that's a highly personalized thing because everybody's going through a slightly different journey, obviously on the same, you know, in the same, in the same situation, but, but we're facing into a highly personalized future of work, which perhaps wasn't the expectation at the outset. Now, now, you say you specialize in organizational future-proofing. What does that mean? Does it mean something different with the pandemic than it did six months ago? So I think our vision, Linda, for the, for the future of work, you know, we, we, we'd looked at the, the long trends, the meta trends, and we could see a clear path towards far more agile and on-demand workforces moving moving forward um, and so our approach has been um, and our area of interest has been how do you how do you create agile on dis, on demand highly market responsive workforces and create that fluidity that that will be required for accelerating 
um, and dynamic markets. And I think what the conclusion that we came to was that you, you can actually achieve remarkable things within permanent um, teams of individuals if you double down on the human factors and the, the areas of, of psychology that, that harness connection and community and collaboration to get great things done. So in as much as our future workspaces are highly likely to be far more automated and tech-centric than they've been in the past, which in itself undermines the requirement for, let's say, um, a 40-hour, five-day standardized work week, um, I still believe that you can obtain high performance and high engagement um, if you, as a leader, if you are prepared to double down on the, the psychology of, of enabling high potential within your work team. So what are the practical ways a company could do that? What are the things you would tell people? I think the most obvious um, starting point is to consider each contributing member of your team as a human being with their own individual set of wants and needs and hopes and aspirations and and to figure out how those contributing members how their hopes and aspirations can can feed into and weave into your organizational goals and um mission so I think you know a really clearly defined um, message around your organizational vision which I know you know we've we've heard increasing um, narrative around organizational purpose in the last few years I think you know being able to really clearly define what your organizational purpose and mission is and then invite your invite your team members into that conversation in a collaborative style that invites them to use um, the setting and the organizational objectives to progress their objectives and aspirations at an individual level. And I think when you can achieve that level of alignment, then you're game on for much higher performance, productivity and results. But I think Fundamentally, we have to make that transition now from command and control, um, hierarchical structures towards far more egalitarian and open um, and communicative and collaborative um, structures where we really are focusing on team rather than instructions delivered on a kind of need-to-know basis. Yeah, it's an interesting point you bring up, that people need to know the purpose. I talk about resilience quite a bit to groups, and it's one of the things that comes out again and again, that if you know the purpose and the mission, you probably won't burn out as much as if you're just there getting cast on or if you're there for the adrenaline rush in, in an emergency or whatever else. But I don't know that that's something, certainly in North America, that companies have been really successful at. I don't know if you've seen that differently in the UK or is it something we're all struggling with? 
I think what's really interesting, I think we're all struggling with it by and large, unless it, unless, unless you're a new, you know, reasonably new organization who's had that um, purpose priority from the get go. I think, I think it is um, a struggle. And I think part of it is because we've transitioned reasonably quickly um, from what was quite a, um, a staid construct of work where you know you went into work and you did your work and you knew who your bosses were and you knew what their roles and responsibilities were to in a really short period of time you know the internet and and global connectivity has changed markets and it's changed dynamics and it's really caused and accelerated the requirement for these conversations which Sometimes we refer to them as recalibration conversations of just revisiting where we've come from, where we are today, where we hope to be in the future, and why every single contributing participant of a workforce actually matters. What I had started to notice prior to, um, well, obviously prior to 2020, was that you know there were a lot of people in work doing work without really understanding how that work they did necessarily contributed to the overall bottom line of a business. I think work had become incredibly fragmented and transactionalized. And and actually, it is really, really important to understand the bigger picture. I think think perhaps, you know, um, globalization has has led to that fragmentation. But I think now we have this amazing opportunity to to level that playing field and to really start afresh and build our organizations um, that are future, future ready and future fit for purpose in the in the 21st century. Let's talk about the whole productivity issue of having people work from home. I know you've been doing some research on this and you have looked at how successful it has been. Talk about that from your UK context, but obviously from a broader context. Okay. So um, over the summer, we were commissioned to um, conduct some research on behalf of one of the UK broadband providers. And what we set out to um, inquire about was how people had used the internet and broadband whilst working from home and what that had meant for them. And actually what we found was that people reported feeling more productive during lockdown in their work. Um, As as you'll know, prior to uh, 2020, there had been an accelerating demand for flexible and remote working, particularly amongst millennial cohorts who arguably were aspiring to get more balance in their lives. Um, And what we noted when we did the research was many people reporting that the um, not having to commute made a massive difference to what people felt they were able to achieve on a daily and weekly basis and to be able to get better quality time with family um, because you could you could get your work done and, and perhaps finish slightly earlier in the day and then go on to have 
that quality time in the early evening, evening with 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 family and loved ones. That made a real difference. I do think, though, going back to an earlier point in the conversation, that it's not enough to assume that we have become more productive as a consequence of that early stage research, because I think we are in that ripple effect now and we are coming to the rapid realisation that it is a marathon, not a sprint. And so I suspect heavily that we need to recalibrate and explore what what the key ingredients are for continuous productivity as we move towards the winter and the next wave of coronavirus as it presents. So what are the things we should be doing from an organizational standpoint, but also from a personal standpoint, if we're going to make it work? So from an organizational standpoint, I think that we you know, the role of internal communication in our workplaces has never been more important. And I would I would build on that to say that that moves from um, one way flow of communication out of the boardroom down the organization towards a two-way flow of information where regular check-ins are just part of the weekly DNA to make sure that everybody feels as well equipped as they can do to perform their work tasks. And when I say well equipped, I also, you know, I extend that to mean for the first time really probably in our work history, we, we have to look beyond the parameters of work to make sure that people are feeling emotionally and mentally and physically as well as they can be. So so the boundaries have blurred between work and life on the one hand, and I think employers, discerning employers now have a responsibility to check in on their employees in a more holistic capacity. Um, But then that kind of leads into the second piece around how we as individuals manage ourselves for the long haul and and the interesting thing and I you know it's it's something yet to be fully figured out Linda I think we're all in you know sort of perpetual beta on this but um you know if you actually think about it our work if we are fortunate enough to have remained in work our work is the one stable that we've got at the moment, or it's probably the most stable thing that we have at the moment, because most of our leisure activities have either been cancelled for the foreseeable future or made quite stressful. You know, you can't even go shopping anymore, which used to be, you know, quite a a relaxing exercise to do, you know, at the weekend. You can't even do that anymore without really having to prepare for it and be quite uncertain as to what you might find when you get there to the point where I've spoken to a lot of people about this it's just not an enjoyable activity anymore you kind of go out when you need to rather than because you fancy just seeing what the latest fashions are or what have you so you know in in the absence of activities leisure activities let's say um 
I think we have to rethink how we gain our rest and relaxation and and actually heavily emphasize the importance of rest and relaxation as an invaluable part of how we continue to um, maintain well-being in the COVID era. That's such an interesting point to be at because if anything, work was becoming less reliable. We were looking at a lot more gig work, a lot less loyalty towards companies, a lot less expectation that you'd be at a job for a long time. And yet you're saying work is even more important and companies should be more invested in workers. I think I think 100%. So there's two parts to that. I think what's interesting about it is that you, the market dynamics, as you rightly say, had massively started to change prior to the um, events of 2020. And maybe part of that was, was because people at an individual level felt that they had choice and felt that they had governance over how they chose to lead their working lives. Well, of course, now, you know, the economy, the global economy is in turmoil and nobody knows how much work there is, which, which, changes the dynamics somewhat um and and so for those individuals and i appreciate you know there are there are thousands if not millions of people whose whose revenue streams and and lifestyles have been brought to an abrupt halt by all of this um but i think work does provide routine and um ritual for us and I think, you know, I'm endlessly fascinated by, um, I guess, societal and civil behaviour prior to, prior, you know, in the, in the sort of 11th, 12th, 13th centuries as, as, as communities began to form. But we didn't have, you know, we didn't have um, the inventions of, of money per se and banking systems and so on. We didn't have the foundations of the modern economy. But, and yet people were always industrious and always aspiring to do better for themselves. So I think it's a, I think it is part of human nature that we would aspire to have routines and rituals that, that help us make sense of our lives um, and work at this point in time if if people are able to continue to work, it does provide those routines and rituals that bring structure to a week and a month and however long we're in this for. So let's try and look forward, Kat. Five years from now, how different will the work world look? Um, well, of course, assuming that a vaccine has been identified and that we are back to some semblance of normality. I do think that the workplace and our construct of work is irrevocably changed by this. I think, I think there's no likelihood that we will all just return to the office. I think that work in the future will be highly customised, highly um, curated in accordance to what the work consists of and 
um, whether that's collaborative work or work that can be done in in um, independence and isolation from from the wider team. I also think that in response to where we find ourselves at the moment, that's going to absolutely accelerate digital transformation. Um, so I don't believe there will be as much work in the future. But the flip side is I believe that we have the potential to do far more uh, engaging work that's predicated on our natural and innate human talents, our, um, our social need to build connection and community and, um, and have uh, good quality conversations and, and ultimately do what is needed to create products and services that customers would be delighted with. Um, so I'd like to think that we're moving away from, or we will move away from this very transactionalized nature of work towards far more customized work that delivers far more uh, customer-centric product services and solutions. Kat, thanks so much for sharing your thoughts today. You're welcome. Thank you for inviting me. Catherine Barnard is a partner at Working the Future. Well, that's it for today. If you did enjoy the discussion, please leave a rating or a review wherever you get your podcasts. It will really help people find us and it will help continue this discussion around the future of work. If you do want to know more about Catherine and her work, please check out our show notes. You'll find links to her website and to some of her work. You can find out more about me on my website. That's www.relentlesseconomics.com. And you can follow me on Twitter at at RelentlessEco. And finally, thank you so much for being here. And thanks as always to Stokely Audio for audio production. To learn more about work and the future and to see show notes, go to the workandthefuturepodcast.com. You can also contact us at comments at theworkandthefuturepodcast.com. The Work in the Future podcast with Linda Nazareth is a relentless economics production.